Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short stories by a variety of authors. Today we're reading a tragic tale of pain and endurance. Shannon Frost Greenstein resides in Philadelphia with her children and soulmate. She's the author of Pray for Us Sinners, a fiction collection with Alien Buddha Press, and An Oral History of One Day in Guyana, a chapbook from Bullshit Lit. Shannon is a former PhD candidate in continental philosophy and a multi-time Pushcart Prize nominee. She was recently a finalist for the 2023 Ohio State University Press Journal Non-Fiction Prize. Her work has appeared in McSweeney's Internet Tendency, Pithead Chapel, Bending Genres, Parenthesis Journal, and elsewhere. Vestiges of a Misspent Youth by Shannon Frost Greenstein Quiet down! Everyone, pay attention! Quiet down! The white noise of 50 gymnasts warming up, conversations about homework, gossiping over new crushes, exchanges involving favourite Netflix shows, gradually peters away to nothing. As men and women who have devoted our entire childhoods to this sport, we're pretty conditioned by the coaches to listen unerringly and obey unquestioningly. The Invitational is this weekend, and you all need to be at peak performance. I don't want any fooling around today. We are the best of the best American gymnasts. We are elite. Some of us are aiming for the 2024 or 2028 Olympics. Others are training for scholarships, full rides to illustrious universities wherein our athletic prowess is currency. Many, it will turn out, are working for nothing at all. No medals or NCAA glory or cushy coaching jobs in their futures to mark their lifelong careers. This is not due to lack of talent, nor a substandard work ethic. This is because of injury or burnout or the spectre of a life that is not centred around gymnastics. Come on, line up for conditioning. Let's go, let's go! To be a gymnast is a fuck-ton of sacrifice for very little chance of reward. The cost-benefit analysis doesn't make much sense. The cumulative pain and loss far outweigh the material gains. The upside, however, is the sport itself. The upside is being able to fly. It hurts, I admit. It's the end of practice and I'm being examined by the team's orthopaedic physician. Per usual, my right ankle is shrieking in pain, the tendons stiff and inflamed bolts of anguish shooting up my leg. It's an old injury, but one which has made itself prominently known every day since it occurred. Some days it's better than others. Some days it doesn't impact my training. Every day it hurts. Every day I ask myself again if gymnastics is worth it. And every day it has been. You need to ice it more, the doctor advises, and I roll my eyes. I'm practically encapsulated in ice these days, and I'm still hurting. Sometimes I feel like no one is listening to me. Not the doctor, who is paid to keep my body intact. Not the coach, who views pain as a personal failing. Not even the parents, who are occasionally blinded by the prospect of fame and athletic endorsements. <laughs> this ankle is my Achilles' heel. It's an omnipresent threat that weighs on me like a yoke. I live with the knowledge that my tendon could rupture if I land wrong. I live 
by accepting that knowledge and continue to train. I will, I promise, for the umpteenth time. But isn't there anything else I can do? The Invitational this weekend is pivotal. Placing in the all-round could get me an invite to the Olympic trials or the World Championships down the road. Have you been doing the stretching exercises? He asks, and I nod. Yes. I don't think they're helping, I say. I'm worried. The orthopedist needs a ligament in my ankle, and I wince. Well, you can get an MRI if you want, he finally suggests with an air of reluctance, as if he had expected more of me, as if I've disappointed him. I suppose we could check in on any tendinopathy. Typically, this tone of voice would make me immediately capitulate to the medical staff. No one wants to be a squeaky wheel when thousands of gymnasts are fighting for a place on this team. No one wants to be perceived as weak. But right now, something feels... different. I'm too worried about my body failing me to keep up the appearance of stoicism. I'm beaten down and frustrated. Despite the unspoken rule that elite gymnasts don't complain, despite being trained to work through discomfort, I surprise myself by standing up to the orthopedist and his unspoken judgment. Okay, I agree at once. I vaguely wonder if I should have gotten an MRI earlier. For so long I've been told I am exaggerating my discomfort. Maybe there's a chance my perpetual complaining is actually justified. Maybe I've been right all along. But it's far easier to endure pain, in my opinion, than it is to face what's causing the pain in the first place. Most of the time I'd rather just not know. Especially because I likely won't stop doing gymnastics, regardless of what the MRI turns up. I've worked too hard. I won't give up being able to fly. The doctor pats my knee in a fatherly way. Good luck this weekend, he says and I feel the first twinge of nerves. The US women's national team has dominated the sport of artistic gymnastics for years, amassing nearly 40 Olympic medals and countless world titles since 1984. However, this has not always been the case. Throughout the majority of the 20th century, American gymnasts failed to win any world medals at all. The US women's decades-long winning streak is due to one very specific thing. Or rather... Two of them. In 1981, married gymnastics coaches Bella and Marta Caroli defected to the United States from Romania. Previously, Bella had served as head coach for the Romanian national team and was responsible for the nation's centralized gymnastic training program under the dictatorship of Nicolae Ceausescu. After their arrival in the US, Bella and Marta garnered a great deal of attention as Nadia's coaches, a reference to Romanian gymnast Nadia Comaneci, who made history as the first athlete to score a perfect 10. The Caroli's elite-level gym in Houston began to attract the best gymnastic talent in the country. Bella quickly ascended to the prestigious position of national team coordinator, a role Marta would also hold after his 1996 retirement. Prior to the 1984 Games, it was actually the Soviet Union that controlled the sport of gymnastics. The USSR poured resources and effort into its national sports programs, producing generations of gymnasts unmatched in other parts of the world. Coaching was severe. Discipline was harsh. 
Young lives were strictly controlled and the tender age of the athletes being worked to the bone seemed to matter not in the slightest. When they defected from the communist bloc, the Carolis brought with them this mindset and style of coaching. They trained gymnasts in the United States as they had trained gymnasts in Romania, even as the world changed and grew and evolved around them all. As a result, the US women improved and progressed. They began to earn the gold medals and international titles typically reserved for the Soviet gymnasts alone. Thus, the Karolis practice took root in the sport as both a winning formula and a necessary evil. They became simply the way things are done. And that has been gymnastics in the United States of America ever since. I'm warming up on the beam. The rhinestones on my leotard catching the overhead lights and throwing off a spectrum of colour. My foot, wrapped in so much tape I have a cankle, is throbbing like a necrotic tooth. I have yet to inform my coach or our medical team that my MRI results came back. The diagnosis? Non-insertional Achilles tendinosis, with calcified bone spurs. Essentially, the radiologist explained, my Achilles is deteriorating. The fibres of the tendon are tearing and stripping away. On a normal day, I would have felt vindicated upon hearing this news. I also would have been terrified, given how we all live in constant fear of injury ending our careers. But today is the meat, so I did what I've been conditioned to do. I promptly compartmentalised the radiologist's information and shelved it to be dealt with later. I'll do the physical therapy after the invitational, I promised myself. I'll ice it more, I'll elevate it. After this competition, I'll do it all. Even now, when I should be focusing, the MRI is creeping through my subconscious, trying to forcibly intrude on my thoughts. I dispel the notion with a quick shake of my head, dragging my mind back to the beam routine I'm about to perform. Are you ready? My coach asks brusquely, coming to stand behind me as I'm visualising my acrobatic pass precariously balanced on four inches of wooden runway. Yes, I respond, wasting no effort on superfluous conversation. Now is not the time to tell him I'm injured. I'm not at all in the mood to be ridiculed for my lack of pain tolerance. The only thing that has lasted as long as my ankle pain, after all, is my coach's contempt for it. If I can walk, in his opinion, I can tumble. And if I'm tumbling, I must not be in pain. My subconscious tries to remind me that I finally have proof, irrefutable evidence that my agony has been real all along. Glowing bones and ligament on medical scans, telling the tale of my body's tribulations. Then I block it out. Because that doesn't matter right now. All that matters is the beam. Don't let me down, he instructs, and the announcer calls my name to begin my routine. Later, I will remember that routine as nearly perfect. I was nailing all of my skills. I was rocking all of my landings. I was on. The energy in the gymnasium was electric. I could feel a current buzzing in the fingertips. I was trying to keep elongated and graceful. Later, I will go over every element in my mind, recalling the feel of the beam under my feet, hearing the hush of the crowd. Muscle memory will kick in, and I'll find my body trying to emulate the movements from that day. Later, I will remember the dismount. A full, twisting double back. Even now, 
My brain tries to correct myself in the air to find the proper body position so I land solidly to overcompensate for my under-rotation. Later, I will hear on repeat the sound of the elastic pop as my Achilles tendon ruptures. But now, life is empty, and I will never fly again. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to stay up to date with the goings-on here at Yorick Radio, then you can follow us on social media, sign up to our newsletter, check out our website, and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.